0: Today, I'm going to base the sermon off of a scripture we used last week. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go in keeping with his individual gift. We talked about this last week. The job of your parents, if they were godly parents, were not to hone in on your weaknesses. The job of your parents was to hone in on your strengths and affirm those strengths and point those strengths out and push you in the area of those strengths. Now, I don't know how many of you had great parents that did that in your life, but the point of the scripture is teaching us that the people that raised you played a large part in how you see yourself and what your personality is like today. If they were godly parents and they always focused on the strengths, then you're a confident person and you know who you are and you know who you are not. If they were ungodly parents and did not care to affirm you and did not care, always focused on your weaknesses and what you're doing wrong, then you most likely battle insecurity. So today in part five, I want to talk to you about this who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Now, in high school, this was a bad phrase, but I'm going to redeem it for us today. In high school, we'd put people in headlocks and, you know, punch them and say, Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? So I'm going to redeem it, okay? I want to teach you who your daddy is this morning. Um, it's easy to, 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 to be who God made you to be, to see yourself and see your strengths, if your parents would call those things out in your life. But if they didn't affirm you and they didn't call those things out, it can cause you to battle with self-esteem issues Um, confusion in your life, insecurity, and what we'll do is, and I I know a lot of you do it, um, we'll actually go after things and we'll go after relationships to try to fill the void that our parents were supposed to fill when we were younger. Um, We'll go after homosexual relationships. We'll go after heterosexual relationships just to try to find someone to love us and to affirm us of the same sex of that parent that did not give us what we were supposed to have. We'll go after things in life to try to fill that void of joy or confidence. We just want someone to think that we're great and that we can do great things. So we'll seek after people that are not even part of our destiny, all because our parents never trained us up in the way we should go in keeping with our individual gift or bent. It's very cool to me that that when Jesus taught us how to communicate to God. When he told us how to see God and before we ever ask for anything, before we even repent of a sin, before we say we're sorry, the first thing we're supposed to say when we go to God, Matthew 6, 9, he said this, our father, out of everything we could have said to God whenever we go to him for for our needs, for relationship, for communication, not, you know, oh, holy, powerful God who created the universe. And and there's no old King James, you know, thus thou art in the heavens, oh God, it was just go to him as father. Just see him as your father in life. Um, How how weird would it be if my kids came up to me and always called me pastor? And my kids were like, pastor, can you make me breakfast this morning? Pastor, can you pick me? I am their pastor, but I'm their daddy. I'm their father. When they're in need, they need to visualize this this earthly dad who's coming to protect them and they know I'll take care of them and they know I'll provide for them. That's how we're supposed to see God and it affects our level of confidence. It affects on whether or not we know our God-given personality if we can view God as the daddy that he really is. So I have three points for you today. Point number one is this. Just know God as daddy. No, God isn't. there's so many different ways to view God, like a judge or a, or the king of the universe. And that's great. But all through the Bible, you know, they would call God based on what he did um, in the Old Testament with their language. If he healed them, they would call him my healer. If he protected them, my protector. If he provided my provider, that's what they would call God. Now, the first way we're supposed to see God is savior. But as soon as we see him as Savior, the very next way we're supposed to relate to God. Romans eight fifteen the spirit you've received is the spirit of adoption, whereby we call God. What's that word? Daddy. Daddy. You know, that's not even the same word as father. It's a more intimate word. It's a more intimate word than father. Um, I have a friend who um, he grew up with his dad. His dad raised him because his mom was on drugs and had mental issues. And so he was with his dad all growing up. And his dad was not a good father by any means. He couldn't hold down a job. There was rarely ever food in the house. My friend told how he'd eat, 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 eat um, cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for years of his life. But well, on top of that, his father was incredibly abusive. Um, he would punch my friend as a child in the face and tell him, you're not a man unless you can fight your dad back. So he had this horrible view of a father. On top of that, his dad was married like seven times. And the reason he kept getting a divorce is because he would beat the women that he was with. And he would beat them in front of my friend as a child. My friend told me he remembers so many dozens of horrible memories where he's hiding in a closet, covering himself up with a blanket, and hearing his dad beat different women. He said one time he remembers opening up the, 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 the closet and removing the blanket over him. And the woman with blood on her face is looking at my friend at 12 years old saying, help me. Please do something. So he had no view of what it meant to be a man. No view whatsoever. He got saved in high school at a youth event. He ended up going to college. He got a master's degree. He became a professor at the very college that he, he went to. And then one day in a church service on a Sunday morning, his hands are raised and he's worshiping God. And you know, he's singing. And all of a sudden he hears God say to him, son, I want you to call me daddy. And he put his hands down and he looked around to see if anyone was looking at him. And he said, no, no, I'll I'll call you anything but daddy. Please don't make me see you like that. Anything. I'll call you savior, friend, wisdom, all powerful, anything but daddy. God said it to him again. He said, for the next one year, every time you think of me, every time you pray, every time you communicate, I want you to refer to me as daddy. So my friend was 30 years old. He said it was the weirdest, most awkward thing. Every time he prayed, he'd say, Daddy. In fact, we were at dinner one time during this period. And I didn't know the story at the time. But we were all at dinner, us couples. And we were at a restaurant. And so I just casually looked at him. And I said, hey, why don't you bless the food for us? So out loud in front of his peers, he says, okay. And he bows his head and he says, Daddy, thank you. We have these friends. Daddy, thank you for blessing the food. Daddy, I just love you so much. Thank you for being a good daddy. He said it was weird to keep doing that, but that one year of his life, he said he had more healing in his soul than the 30 years before. Within two years, he forgave his father for everything that he put him through, his earthly father. Then a few years after that, he led his dad to Jesus. And today they have a relationship. Now, the relationship isn't, you know, like Andy Griffith and his son relationship. It's not like the Brady Bunch or anything. But at least they have communication and there's a relationship there. It all started when he realized who his real daddy is. In Judges six twelve, the Lord's angel appeared to a young guy named Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. Go right now. And your strength and save Israel from the hand of Midian or from the Midianites. God was saying, Gideon, I have a plan for you. I have a destiny for you. What I'm calling you to do is based on the personality that I've given you. I've already put the strengths inside of you, I've told you who you are, This I'm calling these things forth. Now for those of you that have studied the DISC, okay, I'm going to read this again, these qualities and I want you to tell me what personality gift God called Gideon and God gave Gideon, okay? Here's what he said, Mighty, fearless, courageous, don't waste time, do it right now, go in your strengths, be a leader, raise up Israel, fight against this evil army, what personality gift? He was a high D, that's right. But see, here's the problem. Gideon did not have a good earthly father. His earthly father was an idol worshiper. So he never spoke faith into Gideon. He never told him who he was. He never told him, you're mighty, you're courageous, you're a leader, man. You have these great qualities. He never hurt. And we can see how this affected him in verse 15. Because Gideon told God, how can I do what you're saying? You're a liar. I don't believe you. That's not in me. And then he said, there's two qualities that I need to succeed. Same two qualities we're deceived into thinking we need 2,500 years later. He said this, I'm the poorest in Manasseh, and I'm the least important person. Here's what he said, I need money and popularity. That's the same thing the world tells us we need right now to succeed. More money in the bank and more people to approve of me. If I can get more people to like me on Facebook, if I can get a raise at work, then I'll feel good about myself and I'll be able to do what I'm called to do. And God said, Gideon has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what I've put inside of you. And you know, I love the fact that God spoke to Gideon's strengths, not his weaknesses. He didn't say to him, Gideon, you're impatient, man, you have no detail in life. Sometimes you can be lazy. He didn't say that. He called out all the great things he put inside of him. And Gideon actually stepped out and did what God called him to do. And here's why. He believed his heavenly daddy over his earthly daddy. You know, if if the angel of the Lord showed up to you today, the angel would not say, "Uh, the Lord is with you. You poor loser who can't do anything right. And who has an addiction and bad thoughts and you're negative sometimes. That's not what the angel would say. If the angel showed up to you, all you deep personalities, he'd say the Lord is with you. You fearless, persistent, unconquerable, decisive visionary. All of you eyes, you flexible, positive, influential, enthusiastic leader. You S's, you dependable, easygoing, peaceful, and faithful servant. All you see, you organized, self-sacrificing, talented, and deep thinker. That's what the angel would say to you. Um, some good friends of ours, Will and Charlotte, they, they go to church. Will's the quarterback coach for CCU. There's a picture of them with, with their daughter, Maggie. And uh, we're really, really good friends with them. Like we, we hang out a lot. The, well, we used to be good friends and we used to hang out a lot until they had that little baby right there. <laughs> Messed up our friendship. <laughs> Um, Will and Charlotte, they think that this little baby Maggie is like the greatest thing on planet Earth. They think she's the most special thing in the world. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret, and don't tell them I said this, okay? Um, But there's nothing really special about Maggie at all. Um, She has not once contributed any finances to help their house. Not even a dollar. She hasn't filled out a single job application. She hasn't um, cleaned up anything. Not once has she ever told her parents, thank you. Not once. Has she shown any gratitude for all that her parents have done for her? Her parents provide for her, protect her, they love her, they hold her, they affirm her, they feed her. She's done nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. In fact, the only thing she has done is pooped and peed and spit up. That's it. That's it. Imagine holding something and loving something and cherishing something and the only thing that thing has ever done is giving you poop diapers, pee diapers and spit up rags. Yet they think this child is the greatest thing in the world. Why do they love her so much? You know why? Because she came from them. Because she holds their DNA. Simply because of the fact that she is their child. That's the reason they love her so much. I have five kids and my second one, Zach, um, to this day, he'll be 21 years old tomorrow. To this day, he has like an acid reflux problem. As a baby, he would spit up like 50 times a day. I mean, we went through 25 burp cloths every single day. Can you imagine loving something and all they do is give you nasty cloths? with dirty poop and pee and spit up on it. Do you know on your best day, that's all you've given God? On your best day ever. I'll prove it to you. Isaiah 64 6. All of our best deeds are like filthy diapers. You think that you've done something good enough for God to love you. You've done nothing that good. The only thing you've ever given him on your best day is a pee rag. Why does he love you so much then? Why does he want you so much? Here's why Ephesians one 4, he picked you out for himself before the foundation of the world and he destined you to be adopted as his own children. Here's why he loves you because you came from him. Every other creation on planet Earth in the entire universe was made for him. Even the angels were created for him. You were created from him. You have his DNA. In fact, you have a piece of his personality inside of you. Those strengths under the DISC, whichever ones you have, that actually came from God. That is his personality that he gave a piece of to you. And when we all come together like this, we form God. Because all the personality is together. Point number two is this. There's no perfect earthly daddy. For heaven's sakes, people, stop confusing your earthly dad with your heavenly dad. Uh, Our earthly father can taint the picture that we have of our heavenly father. Those two people are not the same by any means. So give that earthly man a little bit of grace. He was not God. He'll never be God. He's just an earthly person just like you are. Um, Remember in the Old Testament whenever God told Samuel, go to the house of Jesse because one of his sons is the next king, right? So Samuel the prophet, he shows up at Jesse's house. He says, man, you won the lottery of lotteries. One of your sons is going to be the greatest king to reign over Israel. Y'all are going to be rich, man. You're going to be famous. This is it. Everything in your life has changed to this day. So line up all of your boys. And so uh, Jesse lines up every one of his sons except for David. Except for David. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 6-11, Jesse saw, uh, Samuel saw Jesse's son Eliab. It wasn't him. So Jesse called his son Abnadab. It wasn't him. Jesse then brought Shama, whatever, wanting him. (laughs) Because they all had stupid names. Like, this can't be a king. (laughs) Then then Jesse brought seven of his sons. It wasn't any of them. Well, I thought you said it was one of my kids. It's got to be one of these kids here. And so Samuel says, well, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's thinking about it. I do, but I don't see a single kingship quality in him. I don't see any leadership skills in him. I don't see any wisdom in him. He's nothing but a shepherd. He's the youngest one here. So they call for David. Can you imagine the public humiliation and rejection that he felt in that moment? When he walks up and says, hey everybody, what's going on? Why is everybody gathering around? Oh, one of your dad's kids is going to be the next king. And David's thinking, why didn't they get me? Why did my dad have more love for all of my siblings but me. What's wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Am I not special? Do do, do you not love me like you love the rest of them? What's the problem? And you know, David walked up and of course, in front of everyone, Samuel anointed him to be the next king. But you know, it must have hurt him because David later wrote in Psalms 2710, even if my father rejects me, God will adopt me as his own child. Now you would think that because David faced that rejection from his dad and that hurt, you'd think that he would do his best to be the greatest father he could possibly be to his kids, right? Isn't that what we all do? We're raised in a household that we don't like and they don't treat us around right with you. I'll never do this with my kids. Oh man, I'm gonna give my kids everything. I'll never be this kind of father. I'll always do my best to be a good dad. You know what we do is we actually think that way, but we swing the pendulum way over to the other side. And I'm sure David thought, you know what? I was rejected by my dad. He did So I'm going to make sure my children never experience pain. I'm going to make sure that they never know what it's like to be hurt. I'll never let them feel anything that I felt ever. You know, David did three really bad things in life. He committed adultery. He committed murder. And he did not discipline his children. Do you know which of the three God was most upset with? Not discipline his children. He repented for the murder and and the adultery. So God's like, you repented, we're done. He wouldn't repent for this one. He just continued to let them do whatever they wanted to do. First Kings 1 Kings 1.6, his father David had never once disciplined his son, Agnagah. Right, because he got beat up on the playground for having that name. He thought that's what he deserved. No. And then another son raped a girl. Raped a girl in David's kingdom, in his house. He raped a girl. 2 Samuel 13.21, when King David heard all this, he failed to punish his son, Amnon. Didn't do anything about it. Swept it under the rug. Here's what I'm trying to teach you. Even if your earthly father was the greatest king to ever reign over Israel. Wrote songs about God. Wrote in the Bible. Danced out in the streets. brought the Ark of the Covenant home. Was successful everywhere he went. Even if your dad was King David. He still would not be a perfect father. Even if your dad was King David of Israel. He still wouldn't do everything right. For heaven's sakes. Give that man some grace. Not, there's no such thing as the perfect earthly dad. Um, my dad never got father of the year award, not even once. Um, he, he did, however, he did provide for us. And if we were ever in trouble, he was the first one to, to take care of us and bail us out. But other than that, we didn't really see him much at all growing up. And one day I was in my early 20s. I already had uh, three children by now. And I'm playing with my three boys. And my mom comes over and she says, John Paul... You're the greatest father I've ever seen. How did you learn how to be such a great dad? And then she said, you're nothing like your father at all. And I said, Mom, I said, why is that? Why was it like this growing up? Why did we experience this? And my mom said this, well, honey, your dad's dad was a very, very mean father. I said, granddad? give her she said no that's after he got saved she said he used to beat your father when he was younger and from the age of zero to 40 years old your grandfather never once told your dad I love you or I'm proud of you not once till my dad was in his 40s he finally after my granddad got saved he finally heard his father say I love you i'm proud of you and that upset me so much because i didn't believe my granddad could be like that so a few months later i went to my grandma and granddad's house and i was visiting with the kids and all and me and my grandma we were in the kitchen by ourselves i said grandma mom told me that granddad's that that, um, that dad's dad you know my granddad uh, was a mean father was not a good dad at all is that true and my grandma looked at me and she said that's because your grandfather's father Mm -hmm was a horrible man. I said, what did he do? She said that he would beat all of his children and one time he tried to strangle your grandfather to death at 10 years old, out on the front porch until his wife had to come and take him off of him. She said that your grandfather's dad, anytime he or his siblings did wrong, he would lay them in their bed, pull out the shotgun, put the bullets inside of it, put the barrel up against their skull and say, if you do this one more time, I'm gonna blow your brains out. I said, what the hell is wrong with our family? Are we raised by wolves? Like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? What is this? Listen we have no idea what our parents went through when they were children and what their parents went through when they were children let people off the hook your heavenly father might not have told you who you are and how much he loved you but your, your earthly father but let me step in and tell you what your heavenly father says in Jeremiah 31 3 I'll never quit loving you expect love love and more love Psalms 139 14 you are fearfully and wonderfully made First John 131 how great is the love of the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And I think that if you look back at your life, I think that you will find in seasons where there was not a godly father figure to tell you who you are. I believe you'll find that God put people in your life at different times to step into that role and tell you who you are. A mentor, a coach, a, a friend, a friend's parent. Some, I promise you, if you look back, you'll find that any your earthly father was not there, God always had someone else to step in and help fill that role. He did it in the Bible. Timothy was a great pastor, but he didn't have a father figure. He had a mom. We hear about his grandmother. But it says in 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul stepped in and said, Timothy, my true son in the faith, fight the good fight. Um, when I was 26 years old, and I felt the call of God to step out and pastor. I could not find one single person who believed in me and was willing to help me. Not one. So all of a sudden one day, and I, I just keep feeling this urge to start a church and learn how to preach. And so I called a pastor that I knew way up in Little River. Um, here's a picture of me, him, me and Reverend Randall. And um, I called him up and I said, um, listen, I don't know how to say this, but I think God's called me to pastor and I need some help. Now the way he and I met each other was in high school when I was unsaved. He was one of my teachers in one of my classes and I was incredibly mean uh, slash evil toward him. I would cuss him out on a regular basis. Um, I would say the most horrible racial slurs to him in front of everyone. At one point after school, he had said something or did something that made me mad. So I was going to fight him. So I was running up to him in front of my friends to punch him in the face because he's half my height. So I thought I could easily take him. I forgot that he was in the military for 20 years. And so with one swift of his hand, he picked me up and body slammed me flat on the ground in front of all of my friends. And that's how our relationship started. So I called him up at 26. I said, I don't know if you remember me. I said, but um, it's John Paul. It's not an easy name to forget. <clears throat> I said, but I feel like there's a call of God on my life, and I know you're a pastor, and I need someone to help me, and I'll never forget. He said this Since the first day I met you, I knew there was a call of God on your life, and I knew you'd be a great pastor one day. Just this past week, he called me up just a few days ago. He said, John Paul, I'm hearing such great things about Solid Rock. You're doing great things in Myrtle Beach. And then he said the sentence, the phrase that every person wants to hear from their parent. He said to me, son, I'm so proud of you. He's the one that helped me get started. If not for him, I wouldn't be here. And you'll never see him. He has a church in Little River and he has a mission. You'll never see him. But every time I'm up here speaking, he's with me. He's with me all the way. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons, <clears throat> and you will be my daughters. That's a true story. Um, back in the early 1900s, this young boy was being raised by a single parent in the hills of Tennessee. And um, because his mom was unmarried and nobody knew who his father was, um, the other parents, they wouldn't let their kids play with this young boy. That's just how it was back then up in the you know mountains of Tennessee. And so people would actually say negative things anytime they saw them. Out loud they say things like, who is that boy's father? And why are they even living in our town? On Saturdays, the young boy and his, and his single mom, they would go to the local store and get groceries. And once again, everyone would always say things out loud for them to hear. Has anyone found out who his father is? Does anyone know who, 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 who his dad is? Why is he even here? Why did he even leave here? On and on they would go. The boy grew up feeling like there was something wrong with him. He didn't get asked to be born in a family like that. He never said, God, I want to have a single mom and I want to live in this area. None of that. He felt this rejection everywhere he went. Well, one day when he was 12 years old, he heard about this new pastor that came into their town. and Everyone was talking about this pastor, what a good speaker he is. And the boy had never been to church ever. But he thought he wanted to visit and see what all the talk is around town. So he decided to show up late so no one would talk to him. And his goal was to leave early so nobody would talk to him. When he got to church, he sat in the back real quiet, real still trying to hide. And when he heard the pastor preach, he was so enthralled with every word the pastor was speaking, every scripture, he was mesmerized by it. That day... The young boy started a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he was planning on leaving early, but he just could not stop listening. Before he knew it, service was over, and now he's caught up in the crowd. The pastors at the back of church greeting everybody as they're leaving. And when it gets to the young boy, the pastor, not knowing anything about him, very innocently just said, Hey, young man, whose boy are you? Just like that, the whole sanctuary grew still. It was the question that everybody had been wanting to ask, for years. The boy was so embarrassed, he hung his head in shame. He didn't know what to say. The pastor could tell there was something wrong. He could tell that there was some discomfort there. So as loud as he possibly could, the pastor said this, I know who son you are. I can see the resemblance so clearly. You're a child of the Most High God. That boy put his head up, and that day shame and insecurity was broken off of his life. He walked out there with a new attitude, and he'll tell you, thirty years later, Mr. Ben Hooper became the governor of Tennessee. Two different terms, but he writes in his memoirs: the day that he really got elected was the day he discovered who his real daddy was. Point number three for your notes is this: you gotta cry out to your daddy. Uh, yeah, when, when we when we talk to God, when we go to God, sometimes we think that you know He's this uh, being that if we do right, He blesses us, if we do wrong, He, he punishes us. No, he's a good, good Father. And you gotta cry when you're in need, cry out to Daddy. When you need a miracle, cry out to Daddy. When you when you feel shame, cry out to Daddy. See him as daddy. Luke 2, uh, 12, 32 says it's the father's good pleasure. To give you everything his kingdom. All the blessings he has. And notice it says father. It doesn't say it is the judge of the universe's good pleasure. It is the creator of the world's good pleasure. It's the father's good pleasure. There's a story in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 21. With Abraham and his wife Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah got married. And they wanted a child. But Sarah could not conceive. And so Sarah said well Abraham. You should sleep with our maid Hagar and maybe she'll give us a baby and Abraham being the great dad and husband that he is, you know, he thought, I guess I'll submit. <laughs> That's what you really want. You know, you twist his an arm and so <laughs> and he was the father of our faith, right? And so he sleeps with Hagar and she ends up getting pregnant, and has a baby named Ishmael. But Sarah doesn't like the fact that now Abraham's attention is going to this other woman and her kid. A few years later, Sarah ends up conceiving, and her and Abraham have Isaac, their own child. So now Sarah thinks, well, now that we have our own baby, we don't need this other family. We don't need your son. We don't need the maid anymore. Can you imagine Ishmael out on the playground, maybe playing with his brother Isaac, and his dad walks up to him and says, "Um, son, um, you and your mom are going to go away. And he's thinking, well, aren't y'all coming with us? We're a family, right? Nope, just you and your mom. But dad, what what have I done? Have I done something that displeased you? Do you not love me anymore? Is there something wrong with me? He never asked to be born in this dysfunctional family like this. He's an innocent child. He didn't deserve any of it. In Genesis 21, 14, it says, Abraham gave Hagar and Ishmael bread and water and sent them away to wander in the wilderness. Nothing but water and bread. You know what really stinks? What I hate about this story is that Abraham was a very wealthy man. He could have given them camels and horses and gold and a large food supply. And if I modernize it, he had the ability to give them thousands of dollars in child support and alimony. He had the ability to. If he's going to send them away and not be part of his child's life, the least he can do is help provide financially because he's got it in the bank. Because that's what a good father does, right? So they're sent off. And after a few days, believe it or not, the water and the bread, they they run out. So now Hagar and Ishmael, this little boy who's done nothing wrong, they are now starving to death in the wilderness. Verse 15 says, when the water was all gone... Hagar left the boy under the bushes and sat far away so she would not see him starve to death. The father who was supposed to protect and provide and be there, now he's rejected him. Now a single mom doesn't even have the heart to hold him while he's dying. She sends him away to die by himself. This 12 year old boy, all by himself. Dying, starving to death, thinking, does anybody love me? Is anyone going to be there for me? You know, the pivotal point of the story, the turning point, the drop the bike moment, the thing when everything else changes is not when Abraham, the father, decides to repent and be a good dad. That's not what changed it. It wasn't when Hagar said, Lord, I really need you to take care of me. I'm a single mom. That didn't change it. Do you know what changed everything? It was when Ishmael, cried that's all he did he didn't pray he didn't say god i believe in you and i really need you all he did was cry that's all that tells me that god sees every single tear that we shed verse 17 god heard the cry of ishmael he heard him crying and so an angel from heaven said god's gonna make a great nation out of you God opened up their eyes to a well and God was with that boy from that day forward. See, his earthly dad may have rejected him, but his heavenly dad had an amazing destiny for him. And you know why this should make all of us feel good? Because none of us in here are perfect fathers. But even if you're not a perfect dad, that's okay because God is a perfect father and he'll always take care of your children no matter where they're at, with you or away from you. Last story, I'll let you go. Um, This young man... His father was the pastor of a very, very large church. And um, he loved to help his dad, like, fix things around the building and make sure the copier's being maintained and clean up and that kind of thing. And then he went off to college. And when he went to college, he got a job at this huge business. And he basically did the same thing, just fixed things around the building, maintained everything. And the kid, he felt so special with this business because they gave him this back in the 90s. They gave him one of those huge key rings. Remember those back in the day where there's like 100 keys on them? So he had a key to every single office, every single part of the building felt so special. After he graduated from college, he went back home and he ended up working for his dad in this very, very large church full time, doing the same thing. When he got there and his dad hired him, his dad gave him one key. It was a key to his office. He said, but dad, I want a key to everything. His dad said, son, this is the only key you get. This is the key that you need. He felt like maybe my dad doesn't trust me Um, You know, maybe he doesn't want me to have a key to everything. Maybe, you know, he's changed my position, whatever the case is. But a few months went by and his dad got deathly ill and was in the hospital and wasn't expected to make it. And so the son, he loved going up to church and he loved praying for his dad in the sanctuary. He felt close to his dad because that's where his father would preach at each week. And so every night he'd go up to the church, he'd have to ask somebody to open up the doors for him. have to get the security guard get the secretary something like that he didn't have a key and he was upset but one night he got up there and there was no one around the lights were off everything was closed down security guard left secretary went home and so he starts going to all the doors around the building to see if any of them were left unlocked none of them were left unlocked he's about to leave he really wanted to go in and pray but he thinks you know what i'm going to put my key in and jiggle it around and see if maybe i can get one of these doors to kind of open up so he went to one of the outside doors he puts his key in the hole. It goes in so smoothly. He turns it. The door opens right up. He thinks that's weird. So he goes to the lobby and he puts it in the hole and turns it. And it opens right up. He goes to the sanctuary, puts the key in, turns it, it, opens right up. He goes to the choir room, the secretary's office. He went through the whole church. He had no idea the whole time his father had already given him the key he needed to unlock every single... Door. He had it all the whole time. It wasn't that his father didn't trust him. is that he didn't know what his dad had already given him. And my prayer for you today after today is this. Is that when you leave here, you see God is such a loving, amazing daddy. And that you realize the more time you spend with him, you realize you already have in your strengths, you've already been given the keys that you need to unlock every single door, it's a part of your destiny. If the door doesn't open, it's not part of your destiny. Because your father, your good dad, has already given you everything that you need. Amen? Amen. Okay.